0: Well hey everybody, welcome to Speculative Work. I'm James Aaron, I'm a science fiction writer, and this podcast is an author diary of my work, goals, fumbles, and lessons, so hopefully you don't make the same mistakes I did, or that I do. So welcome to episode 8. It's January 22nd, 2019. Uh, this episode's coming out a little bit later than I would have liked, but as I will talk about, I had some challenges this past week, and tonight is the kind of the first night I can have some interrupted time because things are finally kind of working out to give me that time so but that was good because the topic I wanted to talk about is something I think I needed uh, some time to digest, and the topic I have started out as a bit of a rant and then calm down over time as I realized I'm not interested in complaining about things without offering a solution. And I'm gonna talk about dinosaur author mentality and some suggestions on how to recognize it and then get past it. But first, let's have some updates. So as of uh, Sunday, work complete for last week was 12,284 words. I'm averaging about 1,700 words a day, which is good. There were some days that were, I think, making up my average. So the most number of words I had in a given day, I want to say, was 2,700. And the least I had was around 1,400. So I'm finding that as long as I can kind of write twice in the day, like once at lunchtime or in the morning, lunchtime and then evening, it's pretty easy to hit the goals. It's when I... Don't write during the day and then sit down, you know, at night, depending on how tired I I may be. um, It's hard to focus, you know, between 10 and midnight, depending on what's going on as well, because the baby has decided she doesn't want to sleep. So we'll get her down, you know, 7.38 and hopefully she'll sleep for two and a half, three hours. And then right when I might want to go write or do something, that's when she'll wake up and start fussing again and need some help you know, getting back to sleep. So that's sort of disrupted my writing time. You know, I it's really important to me to still spend time with my family. Like I can't just say, okay, I have this time between 7.30 and 10 when the baby's sleeping and then I'm just gonna go disappear. Like I really wanna compartmentalize, you know, use time blocking, be focused on things that are important to me and that time when we're even if we're just sitting around watching TV or you know we we do streaks where we'll watch like one show all the way through we just finished Malcolm in the Middle which was a lot of fun but that's something my wife and I do and we're exhausted enough as it is so it's nice to have that thing together so i'm not i'm, I'm finding ways to you know remain focused on the writing time and Interestingly, I haven't been nearly as tired as I had been in the past. So even if I'm only averaging maybe six hours of sleep a night because I stay up until one writing, I still am feeling okay. And maybe that's around, you know, focus on my diet, which I've been doing, and taking vitamins every day and drinking lots of water. Uh, I don't know. But I'm not as tired as I was even six months ago when I was trying to write later at night. So anyway, the you know, that's working out. And uh, I'm really proud about that. I mean, it means I'm going to meet my deadlines as far as the book goes. But if I can keep this streak up, like I, I will pretty easily write 600,000 words this year, uh, which is, you know, nothing to sneeze at. Uh, my reading. So I've pretty much pushed through on Blackfish City. I've been listening to it on audiobook and then kind of moving back and forth between the print book and the audio just to get a sense of some of the places where I thought, the you know, Sam Miller was doing something interesting with the prose and I want to be able to read it in print. It has definitely picked up and finally all these sort of, you know, disparate pieces that were, were out there like a cat of nine tails have basically come down into the, the handle and we have one cohesive narrative and it's, it's working, it's a lot more compelling now. Um, but it's kind of funny because looking at the audiobook book, I, I would think I still have like four hours left, but if I look at the print, my print book, I am definitely within the last quarter of the book, which is weird. So I would recommend this book. The The one that I was trying to remember by China Mieville was The Scar, uh, not The Kraken. The Kraken is one of his YA books. The Scar is uh, a novel I should talk about later, but this book reminded me of that. And I think that it's still like this book is hitting kind of all the traditional publishing science fiction notes right now. And there are a lot of like surface things that you could say are, are kind of leading that along. You know, it's uh, eco dystopian, I would say. You know, it's um, a lot of the, the character stuff that it's doing. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised. I think it probably will win some awards. Um, but it's really interesting to compare it to maybe some more popular science fiction that might be more just character focused and, you know, adventure, entertainment kind of stuff. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's definitely uh, interesting. You know, it's been interesting to read. I'll, fin- I'll finish the book. So I'll keep pushing through. Uh, rest of this week, so we recorded an Aeon 14 podcast on Saturday, and that was just me and Michael. So it ended up being more of an interview of Michael talking about how he kind of develops story ideas, like where they begin, how he narrows them down, and basically how that works. Because, you know, within Aeon 14, like one of the goals that he's thrown out is to write 500 books, you know, between working with you know people like me and his own stuff and you know that's that's a lot and there's a lot of decisions to be made and i think that'll get harder like as we reach a tipping point like we we already kind of like debate back and forth about titles and things like that but as different pieces of the narrative you know the overall fabric of the series get filled in it's going to be more and more interesting to make all the stories fit together so that was fun and i think we might do more just one-on-one kind of things Uh, it was kind of just a good opportunity to talk some things out. In fact, we reached an hour and 15 minutes pretty quickly, and we didn't even get to kind of demonstrating some of the, you know, story building that we do. And I was hoping we'd be able to do that, but it was, we we tend to talk a lot um, in those podcasts. Uh, And then another interesting thing that happened last week is I had someone ask me, to help them set up their podcast. And so I I went and assisted with getting them set up with Audacity on a Mac, which I don't use Mac anymore really, but had to do some funky things with getting like the MP3 encoder installed, the MPEG encoder, um, showing how I do like set up templates and things like that. So it's really easy just to record whatever your you know, weekly or whatever update would be and then do the editing on that and then be able just to cut it and paste it into a template that has bumper music or, you know, intro and outro music and stuff like that. So it's something I do to really kind of streamline workflow. So once I get the podcast recorded, it takes me less than, you know, 10 minutes really to get it do some basic, like I'm not a huge stickler about sound. If my sound is bad, please let me know. But in general, as long as I'm not saying, um, too much and, uh, you, my sound floor volumes are good. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty okay with that, but it was, it was fun. It was really interesting to get to help someone out with that. Uh, she insisted on paying me and I'm not going to complain about that, but it it definitely makes me feel like I need to give a great value for what, uh, you know we had time to do and an hour did not feel like enough time to really go through everything we just got audacity set up and i was showing how i, I use files and things like that and it felt like our time was up so i'm definitely going to be following up to offer some more assistance as other questions might come up uh, but that was fun i could see doing that again or even trying to do maybe a class or something like that so that might be something to try and set up with WordCrafters. So the rest of this week, what I've really learned is that streaks work. And I've really made them as specific as possible. You know, read five pages, um, you know. And and it makes me think about some of the goals I want to get done where I need to be much more specific about them. But it's like the the writing every day. Like I haven't set a word count for myself. I just say daily words. But I know that I really, I really want to get to, you know, at least over a thousand words a day. And it's been working very well. Like I just don't want to let myself down with not maintaining the streak, and by doing that, I'm really keeping my word counts up, which is great. So I I really recommend that. Whatever tool you want to use, whether it's a calendar or a goalkeeping app or that kind of thing. So far, you know, we're almost through January, and it really is starting to feel like a daily habit for me. So that's that's been good. My next kind of goal is to take the things I wanna get done and fit them into streaks. So for instance, I wanted to do an audio recording of Crash in Love, my novella that just came out in the Aeon 14 anthology, Repercussions. And so I need to find a way to make that a streak, like either record, you know, the chapters are pretty short on that one, so record one of those every day if possible. But like I was saying, podcasting daily might be a bridge too far, so we'll get that figured out. But that is something I wanna make happen uh, in these next two weeks. So, that, that was last week. Uh, it just flew by. Like, this whole month, it already feels like it's gone, which blows my mind. But, um, yeah, I, still, I feel pretty good about everything that was accomplished. And I'm glad that I was able to get some reading done while also getting some work done. And then, oh, yeah, I got a lot of work done around the house, too. So, we had a long weekend this weekend for the Martin Luther King holiday. And so, I cleaned out my garage, which might not seem like something that, you know, a writer would want to talk about, but I definitely am a person who, if I feel like something in my house is out of order, it makes it hard for me to focus on other things. And so I, we did a bunch of, you know, decluttering around the house and I cleaned out some excess books that I had and things in my office space and then the garage. And (laughs) right now my truck is full of a bunch of scrap wood that needs to go to the uh, the wood recycler so I can get rid of that, but it already just feels better. Like, that's one less thing that I have to worry about. So I actually don't feel guilty on the weekends because I'm focused on writing rather than, you know, keeping my house in order. So that's also highly recommended. Okay, so dinosaur authors. What got me thinking about this? I, about a week and a half ago, um, Michael Sullivan, who is a very successful fantasy author who has done the i never pronounce these correctly but the rearia chronicles and has so he he's gone back and forth with having a traditional publishing contract being in independently publishing himself doing a kickstarter campaign Um, just any any i would say common sense way he can find to get his work out there and really maintain his business is something that he's focusing on doing. And he's a person that I think is well worth your time to listen to. He doesn't have a blog necessarily, but he does do a lot of interviews in various places. Like he did an interview with the science fiction and fantasy marketing podcast. He, he does post relatively consistently on the, uh, fantasy subreddit on, on reddit.com. And so this thing that got me thinking about, uh, Dinosaur authors was actually from a kind of state of publishing post that he did on on Reddit and he he finished so he talked about wh- would he recommend traditional publishing or independent publishing to someone right now what is his, what are his thoughts about how the industry is kind of shaking out in the midst of you know traditional publishing kind of chasing bestsellers, not developing mid list authors. And then for independent, as you have mid list authors move into Amazon and sort of bring their backlists up, and then the successful indie authors who are developing these kind of publishing consortiums, which I guess you could say I'm I'm part of. You know, Michael Cooper is an indie publisher, but he's basically my publisher. So I'm I'm part of a group that is very agile, can shift quickly with marketing, with the way the books are written, with even the way the audiences are asking for certain things or responding to audiences much more quickly than a large publishing house can do. But there are concessions around that and we could maybe talk about that in another podcast. But that's kind of how things are shaken out right now. And then you have other people that are just kind of starting out or maybe they're not serious about this business. That's something I'll talk about a little bit. But he finishes by saying people are quick to note that traditional publishing doesn't have a good track record with regards to innovation but can't the same be said about the traditionally published author who keeps operating as they always have signing contract after contract even though the pay is less and there are other avenues that produce more income this seems like dinosaur behavior to me and When I read this, it made me think back to an interview that I did with Randy Stradley, who I think at the time he was like the creative director at Dark Horse Comics. And he's a writer and editor and has always been part of the leadership at Dark Horse. And kind of the gist of the interview, which I think was really funny because he was, I want to say he was in his 50s at the time, and I was, you know, maybe a junior in college, so I might have been 20. And he, you know, he, humored me in a lot of things but one of the things that he said and this was in 1997 maybe was that the only constant is change and I've always thought about that because at the time it's something that I kind of heard but didn't really absorb but now you know moving into 2010, 2015, 2018 reading my reading that has been about technology and future blind, the idea of future blindness and inability to see even, you know, five to 10 years in the future. And all these changing, these changes in publishing in everything just reinforces the concept that we are in a time of transition. You know, everything is changing and publishing is changing too. You know, Amazon has been a disrupting force in publishing and it also goes back for me because, you know, I, I ran a small press for a long time from like, uh, I want to say 1999 or 2000 until 2008. And we were just basically a zine press. Like we took the idea of, you know, saddle stapling zines and kind of took it to the next level by putting it online. So we had a website and we we did a lot of digital printing and like using digital tools like laser printers and color printers and you know, basically just taking the zine concept and kind of, you know, raising the raising the bar on that. And the whole idea was like if we could do it, we should do it. Like why not? <laughs> like why you know that, that thing is out there, let's 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 figure it out. And I wish that we had just stuck it out a little bit longer for uh ebooks. I mean it's even like with podcasting. I was involved in a project to do we did radio theater from like 2006 until 2008, I want to say, and we ended up on terrestrial radio, like we were on a local radio station, and um, I think we did like four episodes, and then the radio station actually went into business, they got sold, and so we lost our time slot, and we put so much work into that radio theater, and now, you know, 2018, um, 12 years later, like, one of the hottest markets in podcasting is radio theater. And I think back to, like, we just didn't know that podcasting existed. It was one of those things that, like, this disruption was coming to radio, and it has continued to push through, you know, radio on demand, basically, and also just you can listen to a podcast about anything you possibly want, which radio was kind of like that, kind of like cable TV, but but still was highly channelized, you know, and now you can basically find... A podcast. It's like having your personalized radio station about anything you want. And also anybody can do their own podcast if they want to. So we've just been in this time of disruption. But so many people, especially authors, um, I want to say, you know, I don't interact with that many podcasters, so I don't want to speak too much out of, out of turn on that. But I will say, from my experience with writers, they are stuck in the past like you would not believe. And it... It really frustrates me sometimes but then I know there are a lot of reasons for it and and part of it is you know indie publishing um, I don't really call it self-publishing because I think as I'm going to talk about you have to think about it as publishing it is independent publishing separate of a publishing house or an overarching entity but the minute you start publishing you are in business creating a product for an audience and if you are going to be successful and sell books, you need to approach it like a publisher, which is a very different skill set than being a writer. But that's, and even that is a fundamental shift of reference, so if I'm a writer who came up thinking, and even my, my family has been reinforcing this idea, or everywhere I look, there are industries that prey on people to reinforce this idea, it's that you're a writer struggling on your own, and you will somehow be chosen by an agent You know, you submit to an agent, you are chosen, or you submit to a publisher, and you are chosen. And then somehow after that, everything will be okay, and all you have to do is go, you know, I guess sit in your house in Maine on the coast and write bestsellers. And the thing was that that was never the case. That's not the case now. It has never been the case um, (laughs) throughout, you know, throughout the history of publishing that has, people are certainly chosen. Um, but when you think about even even then, like how many things have to align to make a bestseller and how many people are struggling to do that, um, like why not choose yourself or why not find people that are on the same wavelength as you that will choose you? And now we live in a time when you can build a viable audience of, you know, like they say, the the thousand true fans, um, but we have the means to reach people. And for them to pay you directly or pay you through Amazon or whatever, but you can you can do things and you can you can reach an audience without a publisher. And so this is a disruption. And this is something that people still have not wrapped their heads around. And we don't have good ways to sort this tsunami of content that is basically hitting Amazon and then filtering its way through readers. And and that's part of the problem. You know, when we talk about how these different different things within indie publishing or even the Kindle direct publishing on Amazon is filtering its way out. There, there is nothing to stop anybody from, you know, pulling some word document off their, uh, their computer, running it through draft to digital to format it and putting it on Amazon. Will 99%, you know, 99.9% of those books, will they sell? No, but, the Martian by Andy Ware did, and but he he went backwards, so he had an audience. you know he was writing for a specific group of people and was receiving feedback from them as he was writing, and then he ended up putting on putting it on Kindle just for the ease of distribution, so people could get it on their Kindles because someone had asked him to do that but um, being aware of that is what gets you out of that dinosaur mindset. And something I also wanted to talk about is, is even when we say you're a writer okay, so or an author, like maybe the difference between writer and author. You know, author indicates a professional. How many jobs does an author actually have? Or I would say maybe not jobs, but tasks. You know, so not only do you need to be able to develop story, tell, tell a story, write the story, Um, edit the story then you need to navigate publishing um, and then market reach audiences maintain audiences now now the way that amazon advertising services are working you need to know how to do amazon advertising facebook advertising pinterest advertising you need to be able to track return on investment track uh you know click-through rates like the effectiveness of your advertising based on read-through rates and then while you're doing all these things also be creative and developing new intellectual property that you can continue to sell well how many jobs did i just you know tick off if i was counting on my fingers i would have run out of fingers there right that's that's a lot of stuff and as an author or a person who wants to be an author, who wants to tell stories for a living, I think it's really important to identify all the different tasks that go into nurturing that intellectual property that you, you know, aspire to get people to pay for. And there are a lot of ways that writers undermine themselves with this. You see it, you see it all the time. You know, if you're, focused, if you're too focused on business, you're not an artist. Um, I hear that one all the time well who's your publisher you know and I've even gotten into this argument with other people and I've had Michael like remind me you know the only arbiter is sales (laughs) how many sales do you have and that's a different mindset on looking at things and I think you know sure we could say that some prose is really magical and doesn't get the attention that it deserves and certainly doesn't sell the way that it deserves but that's also maybe kind of a different sort of product that is being sold or, or really, why not both? Why not sell well and have amazing pros that you can be proud of? But you get a sense of all those different skills that go into that and I get the sense when I talk to folks that really have not engaged with this new market is that they, they just don't want to or they don't understand it yet. They are not opening their minds to all these Different things that are happening right now, and so they basically uh, demean it and demeaning it is a way to make themselves feel better about the fact that you know hey i'm I'm submitting to publishers i'm submitting to agents i'm I'm almost there I'm not quite there, and nobody's reading my work and I'm still struggling, but at least I'm not one of those independent publishers or at least I'm not a vanity publisher and even the idea of a vanity publisher is kind of a really outmoded concept. <laughs> but do you get what I'm saying? Like people make themselves feel better about what they're doing, even though they, they won't open their eyes to the fact that, you know, we're not driving Model T's anymore. Um, and so if you recognize these things in yourself, the these kind of dinosaur ideas, uh, you know, other things that come up is um, – People that won't embrace ebooks or they they value print books over ebooks. Um I've I just was reading some online comments that were wasting my time that were, where someone was trying to value ebooks over print books and they're two different products. Like if you look at it that way, they're one is not, you know, depending on who you pull and your audience, I would even say like let's let's not even worry about that for you personally. What does your audience prefer? Because if your audience isn't buying print books. And here's a news flash: most people on Amazon, unless they're buying used books or not buying that many print books, um, they want ebooks and so if you don't value that and take it seriously, then you know you're not you're not going to find that viable audience that you that you want to find and so that's a dinosaur mindset to me. Um, another thing is when I ticked off all those kind of jobs, um, it's a pet peeve of mine, but people that just say like because I don't understand something, I'm not gonna deal with it. Uh, And sometimes it's not, you know, we're we're writers, right? We integrate information, we consume it, we absorb it, we re, you know, take that information and write something new, and that's what we do. So if a writer tells me that they can't research something and figure something out, I'm always looking a little side-eye at that. (laughs) You know, I get that George R.R. Martin still writes on DOS, but that's his workflow. Like I'm sure that George R. R. Martin can probably use Windows 10 if he needs to, right? It's just that's the story that's been told about him. If you're limiting yourself because you're afraid of a technology or you think that somehow you can't figure it out, you can. And the internet is there to help you. <laughs> Google is there to help you. Um, so those are dinosaur mindsets to me. And I, and I, I don't want to turn this into a rant. I, I just want to, I think that to be successful in today's market, if you can't, you need to recognize all those necessary requirements of being successful. And then also, like, I, what I will say is maybe you don't, you know, I can do web design, but I'm not great at it. Like, if there's not a tool out there that makes it easy for me, then maybe double down on the thing that you're good at telling stories, typing those stories out, and then find people who can assist you with the other things that you need. Um, But what I will say is that don't play dumb when it comes to hiring author services because we have so many resources now to assist with vetting editors, vetting cover artists, um, finding the resources you need. And this also gets to another thing where we're now operating in a time where as a writer who might be doing market research you have the greatest database available to any writer in the history of ever available to you to research what is selling and that's amazon so um i see this online constantly where people are like you know what's the hot genre right now or what's um how do i tell what kind of cover will look good for my my kind of book well go search for the books that you were trying to emulate and look at the top 10 in that category and take a look at what the covers look like and then if you're worried that you're not selling the way that uh you would like have you read those top 10 books like are you paying attention to what is what readers are buying in the channel that you're trying to sell in you know and that's a good way to figure out like maybe you're not in the right genre or the book you wrote, if you didn't write it with a genre in mind, your book is not in the right genre. Or your, uh, your blurb is not hitting properly. You know, and, and you've got all these examples out there. You know, it used to be when I was a kid, i go into a bookstore and just start looking at, at books, right? Well, I didn't have the benefit of, like how many books can I look at at a time and really absorb what is going on there? I can look at the covers and give you an idea of what, what I like but i couldn't like lay them all out on the floor of the bookstore and compare the tour covers to the ace covers to um you know the other the other publishers that are out there well you can do that now like you can compare all those things and and that is available to you with minimal work you don't have to pay a consultant to tell you what you need to have a successful cover in military science fiction uh, you can also get a Kindle Unlimited subscription for 10 bucks a month and read all those books. And <laughs> It's not even that expensive. You know, if you compare it to other types of business research that you might do, like it's, it's a steal. So to me that, you know, not recognizing that resource that's out there, um, that's dinosaur mentality. And then the other thing I would say is leveraging social media, but doing it in a way that is kind of lazy. Uh, I see this a lot where folks will pop up in you have a say you have a Facebook group or something like that. You have all these people that are willing to assist, which is a great resource, but then you kind of waste their time by asking questions that are easily researched. And maybe I'm a little bit jaded because like when I first came into this, which was not that long ago in 2014, there was a site called K-Boards that was a forum. And you could search the forum and, and I spent months all i did was read the forum just getting a sense of what was out there and what people were doing and what how people were being successful and taking the information i saw there and kind of double checking it on amazon and and then i came back with specific questions that i might have and i got some really i got really specific help and i also developed relationships with folks that were kind of in the same niche as me that have endured because my questions helped demonstrate like a certain level of mastery on my part that people were more willing to talk to me and include me in projects and things like that, which worked out a lot better than just showing up and saying, you know, how do I publish an ebook? And I still, you know, you see a lot of questions like that that are easily solved by Google. And so to me, again, that's kind of dinosaur mentality. Um, And, you know, a lot of agencies are going through transition right now. Like they still just can't wrap their minds around it. And I'm not sure what like even five years from now it's going to look like because we're so wrapped up in these old models that they're going to get left behind because they're not making money. And, you know, I, I think that we can, there's a, a lot of debate that could be had about how how much money places are being made, but how much money people are, are making. Um, but you talk to like say a traditionally published science fiction writer who made $3,000 in a year and then someone... Um, Who's independently publishing that made a hundred thousand dollars with a book that didn't rank as well as the traditional, traditionally published book? Like people are figuring it out, and so um, it's just going to it's going to continue to change. And so how you respond to that change, you can either experiment and and figure out what works for you, or just kind of keep your head in the sand and say I don't do that, and then you'll go back to working your day job, and that's you know that's fine. Um, Because that's the other thing about this business I'll say that is different than than any other. It's very easy to experiment. Make a pen name, um, throw something onto Amazon that you're kind of curious what'll happen and see what happens. Like if you put low effort into a book with a terrible cover and you don't aim it at the right genre and whatever, like you can see if it'll sell or not. And if it does, awesome. If it doesn't, you know, that kind of corroborates... What, you, what other people might be telling you, um, but it didn't cost you anything to do that, and that's kind of amaz- an amazing thing about this business is that, and I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing all these kind of weird new genres pop up, you know like I shouldn't say weird, but just new, like Lit RPG and game lit and sub-genres of science fiction, you know, military science fiction, um, which is now supposedly you know, the, the hottest selling science fiction uh, sub-genre that's out there. And even ten years ago, like Bain Publishing was doing mil- what we would consider military science fiction, but people weren't necessarily calling it that, you know, and now it's dominating um amazon s f at least. But then there's a whole lot of other you know subcategories within romance that are constantly kind of bubbling up because people have can try new and different things or really query their audiences to find out what the audiences want and what they're responding to. And then write those books for them. And Amazon isn't going to charge you more to upload those books or to try a book. Um, and then you can even, like, you write a book. It doesn't sell. Pull it down. Uh, rewrite it. Change th- the characters or whatever. And then you can republish it. Um, I know plenty of people that have done that. So once the content exists, there are a lot of different ways that you could leverage that content if you don't uh, hit success the first time when you, when you put it up. So... I feel like I'm ranting and I don't want to do that. I want to be positive, but I do often think about this. You know, one of the things that made me realize or think about my own dinosaur behavior was hearing about James Patterson publishing a book through or doing some, doing some kind of marketing through Amazon or Amazon through Facebook messenger. And I hate Facebook messenger. <laughs> I really don't like using it, but then I talked to a lot of other people that they do use it and they use it a lot. And so I had to kind of get outside myself and realize there are tools out there that just because I don't like to use them doesn't mean that's not a viable market of some kind. And as new apps come up and new ways of consuming stories, um, it's just going to keep changing. And so, how are you leveraging your skills as a storyteller, as an editor, as, you know, whatever? to respond to, you know, and kind of roll with these changes and expect the changes. You know, the only constant is change. And I think if you see that, then it becomes much easier to recognize cycles and potentially get ahead of them or at least weather them so they're not stressing you out. You know, we don't we don't live in a time anymore where a book is a static object. And I think that's the thing about <clears throat> a print book, it's a static object. Once you make it, it exists, it's a thing in time you can tell how old it is by looking at it, you can tell how many people read it, you can pick it up and see how dirty it is. Well, an ebook is is none of those things. You know, an ebook can be updated with a new cover, its content can be updated. An ebook can have a life of its own. You know, and, and the whole idea of like interconnected texts that people were envisioning with ebooks like really hasn't come to play, but it's possible. You know, it those those concepts could change over time as people's consumption of ebooks change, where you might have an ebook that becomes chat or becomes something you would consume on Instagram or or some other channel that just doesn't exist yet. So we gotta roll with that. So the three things that I think I would really say would help you um, you know avoid dinosaur mindset is research you know, pay attention, listen to what's going on, like really do your research on things. Always be learning, you know. If something sounds interesting or, you know, somebody is having success at something, I don't, you know, I don't ever discount that because I never know what might be the next new market. And and I see this, it's funny because I see it from science fiction authors, the people that you would think would be looking forward to the future and excited about change seem to be some of the most curmudgeonly of folks that I have talked to. Uh, but I always want to be learning if somebody is, is finding success and finding joy in what they do and reaching new and interesting audiences. Like I would like to know about that because that's cool. And I'm excited about that. And I would say with that, then the networking, uh, reaching out to other authors, but doing it in a way that you are giving generously of yourself. You know, you're not just coming to them with questions and tell me how to solve this problem I have, or tell me how to do this basic thing, uh, you know, come as an equal, come having done your research, having learned, having thought about our industry in a professional way so that you can ask questions that provide value to them. Like, you know, sometimes you come up with something that I'm thinking about this or I'm trying to do this. And by asking the question, other people can, can learn from that as well. You know, like, oh, I never thought about selling that way or I never thought about that new advertising avenue or that way to, you know, Tweak a blurb and see what would happen. But that networking, that building relationships, that being a peer to people, is incredibly value valuable because that's really how the information is spreading right now is person to person. Uh, it's happening online through like Facebook or forums or things like that. But the way to get access to those channels is to bring value to people um, by demonstrating that you've you know you've done the work or. You've done the research, you're learning, um, all those things. Uh, except that what works today may not work tomorrow. I think I mentioned that. But it all does come down to basics. So we tell stories to an audience that's willing to pay for our work. And so you have to tell great stories. You have to develop great characters, put them in awesome stories, and keep you know, giving those stories. But you gotta build your audience. So you gotta figure out where the audience is, if it's Facebook, if it's Pinterest, Uh, if it's Instagram, and then go meet that audience there and give them great content that gets them excited about something and they will support you. But I would also say, make it easy for your audience to support you. So if I have to go through more than like three clicks to give you money, you're making it too hard, you know? So that's why, uh, that's why Patreon is killing it right now. Um, That's why Amazon kills it because like with that, Amazon advertising, the number of clicks, you know once you grab somebody's eyeball with a cover and they like the blurb, it's one click for them to buy your book. Uh, And Amazon has really, has pioneered that. So until somebody else figures it out, and I really hope they do, um, that's gonna be what kills it. So for me, that is the non-dinosaur thinking, right? I wanna be the little mammal that's running around between the dinosaur's legs as they trundle along the plane. Um, and I got to be really careful to maintain that mindset Uh, but to me it's exciting that's what energizes me I'm excited by change Um, I'm a person you know Seth Godin calls people who are excited by change neophiliacs I think is the right term that seems really odd to me but you know figure out your relationship with change and how comfortable you are with the fact that things change and if you 're not comfortable with it, if you 're a person who you know what all I want to do is write and tell stories and I want to be able to hand them off and someone else deal with it um, maybe you know co authoring is a good thing for you or you know find find ways to leverage your skills um, you know traditional publishing one thing Jay Thorne says is that you don 't get to choose between traditional and indie publishing because they choose you uh, as far as traditional goes. So I think you do have to make a decision about how you can leverage your strengths. And so sometimes that's partnerships with folks and building those relationships where you might have someone who is the great marketer and you can tell the stories and together you can make money. Because 50% of a much bigger pie is a lot more money than you know 100% of nothing. And that's something I, I try to remind myself of quite often. Um, and I'm very happy with the decisions that I've made about publishing. So. I hope that helps. I hope that wasn't too much of a rant because I didn't want to do that. I want to be positive about things, but I do always try and check myself when it comes to challenging ideas. Like just recently, you know, book formatting is kind of a pet peeve of mine because I love book formatting. I love everything about physical books and the building of a physical book. Like I I used to make hardback books by hand. And so when people come into forums and ask about ebook formatting and basically the consensus right now is that it doesn't matter, do it works. Um, if I had hair, it kind of makes me want to pull my hair out, but then I have to step back and realize what does the reader want? And one of the great things about Kindle is that it lets people change the size of the text. And so for folks that have uh, have bad eyesight or maybe they have dyslexia or, you know, the Kindle has been um, a game changer for people that were never able to read before. And so my snobbish ideas that were grilled into me, you know, through newspaper design classes and magazine and then books. Um, they don't matter to those people. And those were obstacles to them. And I don't want there to be obstacles between me and my readers. And so I have to like step back and realize that that is not an important thing to worry about, you know, worry about the story. So that's my dinosaur moment. And um, I hope, uh, think about your dinosaur moments and ways that you could, help shrink yourself down to being a mammal so that you survive the ice age. (laughs) All right. Um, Good. I hope that wasn't too much of a rant. My throat is growing dry from the ranting. So goals for next week, uh, continue the streaks. I have to do some writing tonight. It's 11 PM and I need to knock out another 700 words or so. So I'm going to jump right on that. And uh, I'm, pretty much in the last arc of this book and then it's just going to be a matter of uh filling in some a bunch of side story that i want to do which i'm i'm excited to jump into i've started really thinking about that so i think it's really going to round things out i maybe i'll probably talk about the book some more next in the next few episodes because it is fully formed in my mind now and so it's i'm i'm sort of like shaping the the rock you know to start drilling down into what i want and that that's a place that I like to be I have words on the page and I can do things with them so I'm excited about that Uh, okay so until then thanks for listening and I wish you happy writing I will talk to you next week bye